1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm very excited today, as always, because we have another really amazing entrepreneur on for you. His name is Richard Lowe, and he is the writing king, and he does a bunch of ghostwriting for books that you may have read, but we'll never know that were written by him. Richard, how are you today?
2: I'm doing fantastic. Thank you.
1: Very nice. Thank you for taking the time out of the day to come on the show. I'm really excited to have you on and to share your wisdom with our audience. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I know we're going to have some great conversations, so really looking forward to it. Before we go into kind of some of the questions, can you just share with the audience exactly who you are, what your business is, and the great stuff that you do?
2: Sure. My name is Richard Lowe, as you said, and I'm the writing king, and my business is writing for people under their name. So they hire me to usually write their book. I prefer writing books, but I also write blogs and even LinkedIn profiles. and they have an idea for a book. They want to use it to make a name for themselves. So they're entrepreneurs, usually mid to high level management, sometimes as high as CEO, who want to use the book as a lever or a marketing tool to make themselves better. I'll give you an example of one. One of my very first clients, he hired me to write his book so that he could get venture capital, become known to the CEO of the Fortune 50 company that he's a member of, and just become better known. And He was at the low, mid-level management. So we finished the book, we published it. The CEO wound up writing the forward, and he managed to get several million dollars in venture capital. And the book sold a few thousand copies, and he donates all the charity because it's petty cash compared to what he was getting for the book. So that's what people mostly use my the books that I write for, although I have written some children's books and things that are still on sale for on Amazon and science fiction book, things like that. Most of my business is people trying to, entrepreneurs trying to make a name for themselves.
1: I love it. That's real interesting. How did you get into that work? For
2: 33 years, I was in the tech industry. I literally started out as a VP of a consulting company in 1981 and then stayed there for a few years and then jumped to another consulting company and then wrote the system control and data acquisition system for New Haven, Connecticut and Las Vegas Valley water districts. That's the the thing that controls the sluice gates and dams and stuff like that. And I designed that. I was a senior designer and the manager. And then I went into Trader Joe's for 20 years and worked there as the IT director, actually the technical services director, to be more precise. And then, and then one day I just thought, you know what, I can do much better on my own. I got a little money. I got a little runway, jumped off the cliff without a parachute, and became an entrepreneur. Fooled around with affiliate marketing, decided I didn't like that. Fooled around with selling in eBay, didn't like that, and then fell into ghostwriting. And as soon as I fell into ghostwriting, like the same day, got a $10,000 contract and then a $15,000 contract, and it's been forward ever since. Generally, I'm pretty good at talking to people and communicating with them, and that's an important thing for ghostwriting. It's actually almost as important as the writing is getting the ideas from them and I'm really good at that and it seems to work out really well. I started working for several different companies when I left Trader Joe's. One was a LinkedIn profile optimizing company and I stayed there and did 300 LinkedIn profiles for like CEOs of Fortune 100 companies and an ambassador. And then I left that company. I still do LinkedIn profiles, but I do them on my own. And I started working for a ghostwriting company. And my first book, I got a whole thousand dollars for and it was a bear. It turned out that there were two ghostwriters before me who bailed and it was for an Afghan and he barely spoke English and the notes were all over the place. And I started writing the book and was a lot more work than i expected (laughs) and eventually i me and the boss he wanted more revisions and i was like look you're paying me a thousand dollars i'm not going to rewrite the book and we had some disagreements and things so i said okay i'm going to go off on my own he said you're going to have a hard time with the marketing because you're introverted and shy stuff like that that's when the very very next day after i left i got the ten thousand dollar contract and the day after that the fifteen thousand dollar contract and then i was like okay i can do this and that's from a cold start that's just going out there and just pitching people and immediately coming back with business. That's not, there was no ramp up to that or anything. And ever since then, I just kept doing it. And then I fell into it. The reason I say that is because I was writing science fiction and he was the leader of the science fiction critique group. So he was critiquing that he was keeping his eye open for people who could write and he saw that I can write. I was looking for a passion career because I've had the careers where you're just you're just there doing your job and i like being a freelancer i like the income i'm actually making a lot more money now than i was in tech which is surprising and i'm finding it better because i pick my clients and i don't have to pick clients who are toxic and i don't it's one of the big advantages of freelancing is the toxic client and i ran into a couple of doozies at the beginning and i get to make my own way if i fail it's my fault if i succeed it's my and that's quite it seems like a burden but it's not i don't have to worry about oh no the management of this company is screwing up and i'm they're going to lay everybody off like they seem to be doing now i don't have to worry about that i've got the entire world as a customer
1: yeah that's great that's definitely some of the many good things about working for yourself and having your own business now i wanted to ask you why do people come to you to get ghostwriting like when do they reach the point they're like you know what I could write this myself, but it's probably better if I didn't, I'm going to hire someone.
2: One thing that I've been running into a lot lately is they have publishing contracts with publishers and they realize that they're in over their heads. They can't meet the deadline or the writing's more than they thought, or they have real jobs and they come see me and ask them if I can help them out. Sometimes they can. And sometimes I say, look, even for me, the deadline's insane. And sometimes they can get an extension and sometimes they can't. And I've been running into that quite a bit. Other times I get people who are businessmen who want to make a name for themselves such as getting venture capital, that seems to be pretty common. They use the book to give themselves credibility and then go off and get venture cap. And I've been getting a lot of fiction also, a lot of young adult type stuff. I've been going through that and a science fiction novel. And um, I've even done work for This was several years ago for a rock star, a big name rock star. And uh, surprised me, but it was good work and he's a good guy and we stay in contact. And one of the few rock stars I know who doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't do anything. I know a few rock stars.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And now as far as the people who get the book written because they're trying to get more notoriety, get their name out there. If they don't already have a publishing deal, what is the process once you've written the book on getting it out there and getting it to people's attention?
2: That's a great question. Most people that that sign up with me, they self-publish. So they just publish it straight on Amazon. Their goal is just to get it on Amazon. I help them publish it just an hourly rate to help them get the book on there. From Amazon, there's no charge to publish books. So the only charge for them is just my rate and probably a cover. I always recommend a custom, professionally made cover, not clip art kind of thing. If you're going to pay my rates for a book, you might as well spend an extra few hundred dollars for a good cover, right? Don't get chintzy at the end. And get an editor to edit the book and put that final polish on it. And then they self-publish and then they hit the marketing and they have to market the book. And they usually do some of that and sell a few thousand copies. And, and then they start directing their clients to the book page and the clients look at it and go, oh, oh, so you're, and I write a lot of technical books, uh, technology books aimed at managers. Oh, you're an expert in AI, they say. So that's okay. And here's the book that proves it. Or you're an expert in the internet of things. Here's the book that proves it. Did a lot of work for franchises. So I did uh, like a dentistry franchise. that did their book and a cleaning franchise. that did their book uh, and a property management franchise. Uh, those, were rather short books. Now, books don't have to be long. We usually do them by the word. So a 10,000 word book or a 60,000 word book. 60,000 words is probably the minimum for a real book that will get you credibility. But if you're just looking for, say, a quick book, 10,000 words is probably enough. That's usually where we start. I've written, actually I have a book now that we're just in the finishing stages. It's 150,000 words. And that's probably... 500 pages, like that thick yep. <laughs> on artificial intelligence and pretty excited about that.
1: That's so, very cool. So it sounds like you, you do it all. And so now the longer books, it seems are more for people to establish themselves as an expert in the space and be credible. And maybe those shorter books are more just as a tool to bring in clients and get people's attention. Is that sound right?
2: Lead magnets. The shorter books yeah. are generally lead magnets or handouts to clients and things. Most of the franchise books, they publish them. They get a couple hundred copies and put them out on them in their offices and stuff and given to their clients the longer books 60,000 words is usually the credibility one and then the 100,000 words type Time frame is usually when they're getting venture cap. They they want it longer so that they can prove their points and tell their story. And that's usually what they do in the book is they're telling their story. Yeah.
1: I think that's so crucial is that with all of the work that we go to in our business to get our messaging down and come across as polished and all these different things, in the end, what people really connect with is stories. And you know better than anybody being able to tell your story and tell it in the right way to get the kind of attention that you want is so crucial in today's business market.
2: Now, one of the things that stops people from wanting to write book is they don't really have an idea in their head. They just, they know they want to write a book, but they don't know what the idea is. They've got some general ideas. What I usually do in that case, if they don't have a firm idea is we do a small consulting by the hour engagement up front, five to 10 hours where we work over the idea and we brainstorm and we figure out what the idea is. And when we're done, they either continue on the book with a firm idea or they decide they realize they don't really want to write a book because it turns out to be hard. (laughs) But most of the time we firm that idea up and they go, okay, let's go do this book.
1: Yeah. And sometimes that doing the work of realizing that it's not really the best thing or not what you wanted to do is so crucial too, because it can save you all kinds of time, energy, and money doing something that you find out wasn't the right thing.
2: Yeah. It's not just a matter of handing over the book saying, "Okay, ghostwriter, go write this book on artificial intelligence. I need to know what you want to write it on. I need to get I need to basically open up your brain and pull out the ideas and I need to get your quotes and your story and your voice and all these other things and that's a lot of interviews. So if you're going to write a book, even with a ghostwriter, you're going to have to allocate some time for interviews. A few hours a week is usually enough, maybe 1 to 4 hours a week of interviews to basically get those ideas on there to revise to revise what I've done." I'm not going to write it the way you want it written until you look at it and say, okay, I want it written more aggressively. I have one client who wants things more aggressive. He wants, he's an aggressive guy and I don't tend to be super aggressive. So, he, okay, I want it more aggressive. Okay, what does that mean? We work through what that means and it, it's, it works out and I write it the way he wants it to. Another one who wants to tone it down. Another one wants more humor and the other one doesn't. And it's all different. And that, I have to figure that out and work with them to get that in.
1: Now, do you think because of those reasons, it can actually make ghostwriting a more difficult challenge than writing something yourself from your own voice?
2: Yeah, it depends on how good of a writer you are. The hard part, from people run into problems in a lot of ways when they want to write a book. The first thing they run into is time. It takes a lot more time than they think. The second thing is they don't know how to write. Or they're not good writers. The third thing is they don't really know how to convert their ideas into something that's interesting to somebody else. Well, that's my job as a ghostwriter, is all those three things to take their ideas and make it interesting. To I take most of the time, they only have to put in a couple hours a week, maybe, after the first few weeks, because the first few weeks we get really intensive to figure out what the book's about and put our arms around it. So that makes it straightforward to hire a ghostwriter who could do that. And that's what I do very well is convert those ideas into words and then work with you to convert, to make sure they're the right words in the right way and the right tone of voice and the right everything else. That's hard for an individual to do on his own.
1: What would you say is probably the biggest stumbling block when somebody comes to you with the book they want written as far as them being able to get their message across and get it to you in a way that you can get it out there to make sense for the people they're trying to reach?
2: The biggest stumbling block that they run into is time. They simply don't have the time. I've had clients who just say, "I want to write a book on the metaverse and have at it," and that was literally the only instructions that I got. And when I finished it, I'm like, I'm praying, like, "Oh my God, I hope it's right. I hope it's right." And it was right. They liked it. We had to do a few revisions, but it was okay. And and then there's times where literally we've gone through every single sentence, hand holding the whole way. The most difficult thing for people to confront is it's not is it's a collaborative process i think it's not just handing it off to a ghostwriter normally and saying write a book if i was going to write your memoir i would have to talk to you a lot to get your ideas out of your brain How were you're born how do you live what's exciting about your life what's the story and in a memoir what you're looking for is the story we can't write about your whole life that would right. be ridiculous what we can write about is Your journey on the trip to eight figures or nine figures of income, whatever, what is your journey there? What were the important points? And that's hard for people because they want to write about their whole life. It's all interesting to them, but it's not interesting to everybody else. We don't want to hear about your five marriages that failed and all this kind of stuff. We want to (laughs) hear about the good stuff related to the topic.
1: Now I want to ask you a little bit more about your business itself. So if you could imagine for me that your business is like a hose, right? And the money flowing through your business is the water coming out of it. You know how a hose can get kinked and slow down the flow? What would you say is the biggest kink stopping that flow of money through your business right now?
2: Prospecting, marketing, as you put it now. One of the reasons why I pick ghostwriting books is I don't need to have a huge funnel pulling in thousands of clients. I just, I need my book's aren't cheap. They aren't super expensive, but they aren't inexpensive. So I need a dozen clients a year and I'm making up in six figures easily. The hard part is I was in tech. I was in tech for a reason. I tended to be very introverted. I pretty much got, I'll tell you a quick story. When my wife passed away, I was super introverted, as you can imagine. So I went into photography and I used the camera to talk to people. So I talked to the camera who talked to the person. I did 2000 photo shoots before I could finally break the introversion. And become, as you can tell, a little less introverted. That was really tough for me, was being able to go out there and actually sell myself. It's really hard. And I imagine a lot of entrepreneurs have a trouble with that. You've got all these talents and you've got all these things. Why don't people just know they don't? Because and how do you get to them? There's all these avenues, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube. You can go personal, you can go to the flea market on some things, all kinds of different ways to get to people. What's the best one for you? You can't do them all. I tried to do them all at the beginning. I was on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest. Oh my God. It was I was doing all this marketing and not doing any work. So coming up with that balance was another issue. And then I'm not super thrilled with marketing and prospecting. I actually like just talking to clients and right helping them with their book and things. So I kind of have to force myself to do the prospecting, and that can be that kind of that end is a challenge. A lot of other people have challenges with the other end. I have a challenge on the getting the clients in. Once I but I have found, once I get to the interview, if I interview you for a book, I have a 1 in 3 chance of you coming on. I go certain 48 books, 3 interviews equals 1 client. And that's a pretty good conversion rate.
1: Yeah, that's a great conversion rate. And it's good that you know those metrics inside your business too.
2: Yep. Now, of course, in front of that, there's all of the, the going back and forth and the messaging and the, all the other stuff. And it's probably much higher, but I'm very fast at detecting, okay, this is not a qualified lead. This guy's not interested. He doesn't have the money. Making that, I'd say the number one thing that I had to do was make the, I guess you call him avatar or the, uh, who am I selling to? That was difficult for me to understand. I needed to do that. I thought I could sell to anybody and you can't. So I've made my avatar who exactly I'm selling to. And one of the criteria for that has to be, they have the money to afford me. Because if that's not a criteria of somebody you're selling to, you're going to waste a lot of time.
1: Yeah. That's such a great point. And something that I think so many entrepreneurs miss out on in the beginning is that as you're trying to decide who that person is that you're selling to one, like you said, It matters. We like to think, oh, I can sell to anybody or I can make this product useful for anybody. But in the end, like you said, you just end up wasting a lot of time with unqualified leads who aren't going to buy whatever it is you have to sell. And then that piece about making sure they actually have the money to afford your services is is so key too, because nothing's worse than going through a call and talking to somebody all the way to the end and they're all excited. And then you're like, all right, are you ready for the investment? And they're like, oh, I can't afford that. I don't want to have that kind of money.
2: Yep, yep. And that's the qualification stage. You probably have to talk to them, but you want to get through that as fast as you can in the talk. Not only do they have the money, but do they have the time? Right. Do, are they really interested in getting this done or is it just a hobby for them? All of these things, all entrepreneurs are going to run into in whatever they sell is you have to make sure that those leads are qualified in whatever way makes sense for what you're selling, service Absolutely. or product. That was difficult for me.
1: It's a challenge for a lot of people to learn. I think especially a lot of newer entrepreneurs, their first time through a business, that's something that takes them a while to figure out as well. And it's one of those exercises where until you actually do it, I don't think you see the value. You're like, oh, yeah, my avatar. I know who I'm selling to. I know what these people are like. And then you'll finally do a call, right, with one of them. And you'll be like, oh, this is the exact person that I've been trying to get in touch with and talk to this whole time. And then you realize that you don't know as much about them as you thought you did.
2: And you hone that as you go. It changes. You'll change that. You have to be willing to change that avatar at all times because you're going to find that maybe it doesn't work. Maybe I went for CEOs and what I found is CEOs is not the right avatar for me. They are stingy. No offense to CEOs, but (laughs) I've been finding that they don't, they're really picky with the money. They've already made it to CEO. But then when you get one level lower to the VPs and stuff, they haven't made it to CEO, so they're a little more hungry. So that's a, that's just an example of fine-tuning the avatar. Oh, CEOs is not the right one. They might have the money, but they're not willing to spend it. And they don't have the time. CEOs do not have time, but VPs might. So I could adjust my avatar in that way, yeah, for example.
1: Absolutely. absolutely. Crucial points. Now, I wanted to ask you, Rich, what is your biggest personal financial goal right now?
2: My b- biggest personal financial goal is in three years, I want to be bringing in a million a year. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, this year is really good for me. I set a goal for 300,000 for this year and I'm already halfway there. And Very nice.
1: Sounds like you're right on track with that one.
2: Definitely. Now, my a lot of my audience is tech, so I'm ever so slightly anxious about all the tech layoffs, but not really. <laughs> my my target audience is people looking for to further their career. Yeah. And layoffs and things mean they all want to further their career.
1: Right, there'll be a lot of that going on right now.
2: Yeah. It's like COVID made my, my increase double my business double during COVID. So I'm not super concerned about it, but it does produce a little anxiety, just like everybody
1: in tech. I think with the state of the economy right now, pretty much everybody's a little bit nervous about how things are going to go.
2: Unfortunately, it might become a self-fulfilling prophecy where there really isn't a problem until people think there's a problem. But that's another story.
1: (laughs) That is totally. Now, Rich, if you would tell us, what does financial freedom look like for you? So beyond any sort of number goal, assuming you get to the point where, you know, you have as much money coming in as you need to take care of everything in life and you can do as you please with your time. What are you going to do then?
2: Oh, I picked this particular profession for a reason. I've been getting older and I wanted to have a I wanted to have a profession A that was my passion, B that I could make income until my deathbed, literally, and that produces a good quality income and that I don't have to worry about toxicity because when you're in the workplace, it's everywhere. And when you're a freelancer, you can choose. I think we started on that thing. I've had some toxic clients and I realized wow, I don't have to do this. I can find good clients. And all my clients now are wonderful. And I always start off in our first conversation, they want us to have a good relationship and we need to communicate. So if you don't like something that's happening, you don't like what I said, or you don't like what I wrote, or you don't like some whatever, just talk to me. And it goes both ways. So the relationships are really nice, but it's interesting. Those are my goals. I would just keep doing it, maybe not as hard, and just do it until I can't do it anymore. It's too much fun not to do it. And how many Uh, people say that about their jobs?
1: Yeah, not so many, which is why I love that answer. And I love asking that question because almost to a one, when you ask entrepreneurs, they always answer that. Employees, not so much.
2: Yeah. I was an employee for many years and it's night and day. I got good training. They treated me well. I got good money It helped me fund this. I can't complain about much of what happened back then, but it was definitely a different environment.
1: And like you said, being able to choose who to work with is one of the best feelings in the world. Now, Rich, if you would tell me as you work towards financial freedom yourself, do you have a plan that you are following or what do you do to get you there?
2: My ser- my business is service oriented. It's not product oriented. So that means I'm selling me as a service. So my plan is to get books that I can write that basically are the higher end books. So of course when you're in when I started with the lower end books and now I'm working at the higher end books, I'm getting higher and higher. Not celebrity books. Celebrity books are a whole different follow acts that I'm really not interested in. So I'm not interested in writing Obama's memoir, Trump's memoir, whoever's memoir. I'm interested in writing good quality books that bring in a good good rate of return. That way I can work on a sane number of them per year and make a good income. I like doing LinkedIn profiles optimizations too. That's another thing I like to do. And because it helps people a lot and I do them collaboratively rather than you tell me about yourself and I go off and write it and come back and say, here, we work on it together for several hours until it's done, until it's perfect for you.
1: I'm glad you brought the LinkedIn thing back up because I did want to touch on that real briefly for an entrepreneur out there who is looking to stand out a little bit more and optimize their LinkedIn profile. What are a couple tips that you can give them? Well,
2: number one is hire me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Great tip. What I would do with,
2: let's just say you came to me, I would, we would sit down and we would go through your goals. First thing I do is a SWOT analysis with my client. So I want to know what your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats are. That gives me an idea of who you are. We spend an hour or maybe even two going through that together. Then from there, we write your about, your summary, and your summary needs to be spot on from most important to least important in your summary. We want to basically, it's a little more than your elevator pitch, but it's your pitch about yourself. Then all the experiences, it has to be a coherent story. So you don't put all of your experiences in there. You put the ones like the ones that lead to you being where you were. And how did they do that? Your education. So if you're going to be, if you're a doctor, how did your education? Get to that. If you're in tech, what kind of education did you get to prepare you for tech? So, we're not worried about whether you went to Yale or not. We're worried about these trade school classes that you took, made you help make you what you are. And the story is what's important. People like the stories, and we work on that. And then I would give you an hour of tips and techniques on what to do with LinkedIn. The biggest tip is I'll give you the biggest tip for free LinkedIn is social media. What is the thing that social media wants? It wants you to be social. That's the game it's playing. If you play the social game with, with social media, it will reward you by giving you more of what you want, more more people looking at you, more engagement, more whatever. If you're not social, you're not going to get it. What does social mean? Commenting on other people's posts. Posting yourself. To a lesser extent, liking and sharing. Commenting is always a thousand times better than liking. So comment, if you can, on five to 20 posts a day, literally. Do a post at least once a week. Do them every day if you can. These are short posts. You could probably write it in 15 minutes. And uh, like a few things and share a few things. And any social media is going to go, oh, he's playing my game. Great. I'm going to help him out because he's playing the game that I want him to play. And you're going to get help. And you're going to start getting a boost. It takes six months for you to get there. But you're going to start getting a boost. And you're going to start seeing more and more traffic. And if you're smart, you're commenting on things that apply to you. So you're going to start getting the traffic you want. And you're not commenting on things that don't apply to you. Remember, LinkedIn doesn't know the comment. It just knows that you did comment. So if you comment on something, I don't like this, you're going to get more of that because you commented on it. It doesn't know that you said, I don't like this. I don't like people putting math problems on LinkedIn. Guess what? You're going to start getting more of them now because you're commenting on them. Don't do that. There's a little hide command on LinkedIn. You can just say, hide this. And LinkedIn goes, he doesn't want to see that anymore. So you stop getting math problems. So that's the tip. Be social.
1: Yeah, and I think that's so important and what most people overlook on social media because they think it's just another platform for them to sell on and for them to get their word out about their products, their services. And it totally is that in part. But like you said, they want you to be social. It's called social media. And just being selling all the time is more antisocial and will definitely drive down your engagement. You
2: want to have the selling be below 25% or less. You want to make it more subtle. Rather than saying buy my product or buy my service, you want to just say okay, blah 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 blah, and ghostwriting will help you with that blah 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 blah. So that you're being a little more subtle, and then you'll start getting engagement on there, and then you'll see somebody who like perks up his ears, so to speak, like he comments a little harder, and then okay, I need to follow up with that person, and then you take it off and you go follow up with them in person or on the messaging. You just got to watch the social part, but you got to watch your, you got to watch your audience because. If you're out there doing stuff that has nothing to do with your business, you're just being social, that isn't helping you either. You want to engage with your audience and your whoever your avatar is. That's the people you want to get in. So that's the people you want to be social
1: about. It doesn't count as doing your 25 minutes of being social on social media if you're just liking your friends' posts from the weekends and all that stuff. Or if
2: your avatar is VPs and you're socializing with entry-level people, that might feel good. You might have thousands and thousands of followers, but it isn't getting you any business and the key always is conversions, not engagement, not impressions. None of that stuff matters if you don't have conversions.
1: 100%. You, convert,
2: you convert them from a looker to a buyer.
1: All right. Now, before we go, Rich, is there any other words of advice you would like to share with the audience and the entrepreneurs out there?
2: The economy is getting a little slushy now. It seems to be, at least, especially in tech, which makes sense. So I would say, start a side business, start a freelancing business or a gig, a gig economy business, whatever you want to call it, and just start doing it. First of all, it gives you a fallback if you do get laid off or something bad happens. And second of all, you might turn it into a real business. You might find you like it better. You might find you're making more money at it. You might actually be good at it. How are you going to know until you try it? And all that time that people waste on watching TV, playing video games, don't want to put down playing video games, that's good stuff, But or doing meaningless tasks, put it into a second business. And even if it's just five hours a week. Get that business going, learn it, crack the books, watch podcasts like this, interview people, talk to people and start building that stuff. So if something happens to your one nine to five job, you can, you've got an alternative because you're going to, you might need it that's my yep. wisdom.
1: Yeah, I love it. I think more people need it than ever. And the path that's open to employees nowadays, and the path that are open to entrepreneurs, business owners, founders are, I think, separating by a wide margin. Yep. Which has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. I appreciate you dropping all your wisdom for myself and for the audience. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your day.
2: Yes. And by the way, if you want to reach me, it's just the all spelled out the
1: Perfect. That was the next question. Now we all know where to reach it. And then, yeah, that's it. So I want to thanks again. Thank you for having, for being on with me, coming on. And I want to thank, yeah, absolutely. Thank the audience for listening as well. So if you're out there and you enjoy this episode, you can subscribe if you haven't yet. And if you want to leave us one of those five star reviews, that really helps us out a lot. We really appreciate that. If you happen to be a six figure plus entrepreneur like our amazing guest, Rich, today, and you want to come on and share your insight and story with my audience would love to chat with you to do that you can go to
0: tyfpodcast.com
1: that's the letters
0: pyfpodcast.com
1: and we would love to have you on as well rich thanks again my pleasure everybody else we'll see you next time if you've listened this far
0: chances are you're an entrepreneur looking to become more financially literate and create financial freedom for yourself from your business the pay yourself first podcast is definitely here to help with that My goal is to continue to share what I've learned about using your business as the tool to create financial freedom. But let's face it, it would take me years to share with you everything you need to know via these episodes. Creating financial freedom is something that most people never even consider, let alone make a plan for or take action towards. It's something almost no one was taught anything about. Doing it as an entrepreneur is even more challenging, especially without support. So if you're ready to get clear On what financial freedom looks like for you come up with an action plan and get the support systems and accountability you need i invite you to consider the abundantly infinite entrepreneur i created the program to help entrepreneurs just like you get a handle on their personal and business finances and start building confidently towards financial freedom and it's how you can discover ways to take 10 years off your retirement add an extra five or six figures to your portfolio and finally get clear on what numbers you should be tracking in your business and why. Together, we'll gain clarity around your financial goals and what being financially free would actually look like for you. Then we'll put together a customized game plan to get you there and the accountability to see you through. And by the way, you're also gonna get all the spreadsheets you need to run your numbers, lifetime access to the materials, including any updates,